Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. Today we're going to air a message that I did recently on the subject of biblical principles of civil government. You know, we have compartmentalized our faith in America. And quite frankly, this is unbiblical. We have our Sunday morning Christianity, but we don't allow Jesus to be the Lord of our lives the other six days of the week. Quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, that isn't following Christ at all. If Jesus is Lord, then he's the Lord of all of our lives. And everything that we are involved with, we should be looking at and evaluating our decisions and our actions in light of Scripture. So the only things that should be off limits at church are the things that we aren't involved in. But if we are followers of Jesus Christ, then as the Apostle Paul said, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that includes the biblical principles of civil government. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. Psalm chapter 33, we'll read a couple of verses of Scripture, uh, beginning in, uh, let's see, verse 8. Psalm 33, 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord, trust the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, one day they will. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the... It says that the heathen, the goyim, the Gentiles. In this context, it's a reference to the, to the ungodly. God bringeth the counsel of the world, of Madison Avenue, of New York, of Los Angeles, of Hollywood. God brings the counsel of the world to not. He make the plans, the plots, the, the uh, uh, contraven, uh, what, what man contrives uh, of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord, in contrast, though, stands forever, and thoughts of his heart to all generations. Here's our text verse. Blessed is the nation whose God is Yahweh, whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Today I am going to present a message called Liberty or Tyranny, the Biblical Principles of Civil Government. So this will, in fact, serve as my election sermon. After Moses had led the Israelites for some 40 years, brought them back just to the east side of Jordan, and gave the second giving of the law just across from Jericho, a little about three miles. In fact, you can see Jericho from wherever they would have been. Gave the second giving of the law there. Of course, that older generation had rebelled in unbelief. And uh, God said, okay, you're not going to enjoy the blessings that I've made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. However, I am going to keep my promises. Your children will enjoy them. said, everybody from the age of 20 and above will die in the wilderness. The children from 20 below will go in other than, of course, Joshua will lead them, Caleb, uh, some of the, the faithful. There was a handful of faithful. They would go in as well. And Moses gave them the second giving of the law recorded in Deuteronomy here. 
and then gave them the command that once they got in, and this is recorded in Joshua chapter 8. Of course, Moses' ministry stopped here. Joshua led them into the promised land over the course of seven years, captured the land, and brought it under the authority of the 12 tribes as God had given it to them as the promised land. But they went up here to the biblical city of Shechem. Uh, Arabs call it Nablus today. But this is the uh, location, in fact, right here, Shechem, this was the location where Jesus would have met with the woman of the well, the Sychar's well, in, in John chapter 4. Uh, Joseph was buried in Shechem. Uh, Jacob built a well and dug a well here in Shechem. But he said, put the sons of the wives of Jacob on one mount, Mount Gerizim, and, and put the sons of the, the handmaids on the other mount, Mount Ebel, and proclaim the law. And say this to the people once you get there. Like, literally, this was like an auditorium. The people here uh, listening to uh, Joshua proclaim the law in the valley said uh, to uh, read the blessings and the cursings. Blessed art thou, Israel, if you do Baruchatah, Israel. Blessed art thou, Israel, if you do things my way. The word blessed, according to Webster's Dictionary, 1828, means to make happy, to make successful to prosper in temporal concerns as we are blessed with peace and plenty. Gives the example, the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all that thou doest. Deuteronomy 15. Blessed art thou, Israel, when you do it my way, when you listen to me, when you obey me. And contrary to that, cursed are you, unhappy, unsuccessful, unprosperous, uh, unprosperous unplentiful, there will be a lack, of, a, a lack of provision, when you don't do things my way. So with that in context, understand what that term means in Psalm 33. Blessed is the nation. That word is goy, goyim in the Hebrew. It literally means a Gentile nation. Obviously, you see the last part of that verse, the people whom he hath chosen, that would be the Israelites. God will, in fact, fulfill all his blessings to Israel. But we have a conditional promise that's made to the Gentile nations. Blessed is the nation any nation whose God is the Lord. Let me also say this as we lay the groundwork for our study this morning. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, there is no new thing under the sun. Ladies and gentlemen, homosexuality is not new. Abortion is not new. Drunkenness is not new. Drug addiction is not new. Disobedient children, uh, uh, covetousness, theft, uh, cheating in business. None of this that we see going on today is new. It's been around for, uh, since the dawn of man. And we may have air conditioning, we have automobiles, we got all sorts of technological changes, but we still have the same old sinful man, we still have the same sin issues to deal with. So we can, in fact, look to the pages of Scripture for answers. In fact, God has dealt with every issue that we face in the world today. And God has assigned responsibility. In fact, this is the basics of biblical worldview. If you recognize and put into the proper category the responsibility of each issue, for example, who's responsible for overseeing education of the children? Well, it's supposed to be moms and dads. That's part of family government. Who's responsible for charity and welfare of those in needs? Well, that's supposed to be part of the church government responsibility. Civil government has a very small, limited area of responsibility that God assigned to it. When we make a mess of things is when we put things in the wrong category of responsibility. This morning, we're going to look just briefly at this area called civil government. This has become a very famous monument since 2012. It's called the National Monument to the Forefathers. Chances are you were like me. You'd never heard of it before until Kirk Cameron's uh, movie uh, documentary in 2012 called Monumental. 
And, of course, he introduced us to that. By the way, we'll have Dr. Paul Jaley with us in a couple of weeks. Dr. Jaley was prominently featured uh, in this uh, documentary, Monumental. But on the front facade of this National Monument to the Forefathers, it makes this statement. Erected by a grateful people in remembrances of their labors, sacrifices, and sufferings for the cause of civil and religious liberty. Now, as Christians in the 21st century, we don't get this. We're going to explain it. Civil liberty and religious liberty always travel together. If you lose one, you lose the other. If you retain one, you can retain the other. As a matter of fact, John Witherspoon, who was a a preacher, the president of Princeton University, was a member of the Continental Congress and a signer of the Declaration of Independence, he made this statement, there is not a single instance in history in which civil liberty was lost and religious liberty preserved entire. Ladies and gentlemen, we know this to be true when we look back at Bible history and world history. Christianity has always been persecuted. Christianity has never had rights. You go all the way back to Acts chapter 2, shortly after the birth of the church. Then you see the suppression of the preaching of Peter and John. Then you see Stephen stoned. You see the church persecuted, first by the Sanhedrin, then by the pagan Roman Empire, then by the Holy Roman Empire, down throughout the ages around the world in Muslim countries today and communist countries today. You see Christians persecuted for their faith only in America. And only for the last 240 years have Christians been able to enjoy both civil and religious liberty. So we are not the rule. We are, in fact, the precious exception to the rule. So why has America been different? First thing, understand what tyranny is. Tyranny is when someone that doesn't have the authority to control you controls you or seeks to take control of you. And before a government can control your body, they first have to control your mind. So in order to do that, there's three steps that they always implement in every situation throughout world history. First of all, you have to nationalize education. You can control what the children are being taught, then when they become young adults, you've got control over them. Now, what's the Bible say? Parents... Raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Love God, fear God, trust God. But what's happened now that we've turned our kids over to the civil authority to educate our children? We've taught them that there is no such thing as God, that government is God. So fear God, love God, trust God. That's, or excuse me, uh, fear the government, trust the government, love the government. And that's where we're at today. The second thing that they'll try to gain control over is the flow of information. That's through the sources of media. You know, we point back in times past and say, oh, look at that. You know, Goebbels controlled the the, German media and all this kind of stuff. Folks, look what's going on today. I mean, we literally have a real scandal with multiple sources of corroborating evidence. And the media, NPR came out the other day and said, oh, we're just not going to cover it. Folks, we live in a big country. 50 United States, 330 million people. We can't be firsthand witnesses to everything that goes on. As a matter of fact, for the next hour, outside of what goes on in this room, we're going to have to take somebody else's word for whatever happens anywhere else in Edmond or anywhere else in Oklahoma or anywhere else in the country. So you have to have a reliable source of media. When you can control the flow of information, then you can control the response or the behavior of the people that receive that information. And the third thing 
is there can be no freedom of conscience. This is where civil liberty and religious liberty are tied together. When the government becomes God, you can't have the ability to disagree with anything the government does. Nothing the government does is morally wrong because the government is always right. So you either have an atheistic communism as they have in Red China or the former Soviet Union where there is no God. So by default, government becomes God. Government establishes what right and wrong is. Government establishes what truth is. Government grants rights and therefore government can take rights away. Or you have a theocracy as they have in in Iran and Saudi Arabia where God and government are one and the same. And you come to the same conclusion. Government establishes what right and wrong is. Government grants rights. Government takes rights away. There's no higher appeal than the government. Now listen, make the connection. That's exactly what Nimrod was trying to establish in Genesis chapter 10. That is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar successfully established in Daniel chapter 2 and 3 and 7 and 8 and all of Daniel. And that's exactly what King James had established in Old England. As he was, as the king, the political head of the country, but he was also the spiritual head of the Church of England. So if you disagreed with King James, not only was it an act of heresy, but it was also an act of treason for which you could be arrested, you could be severely punished, you could even be put to death. Now, folks, it was for this cause that this group we're going to be talking about a lot over the next month came into the picture. And if you notice in this painting, painted by T.H. Madison, hangs on the, uh, hall, in, the, in the Capitol Rotunda in Washington, D.C., The embarkation of the Speedwell, one of the two ships that the pilgrims initially planned to come to America in. But you see, as as depicted in this picture, you, you don't see a ship full of men prospecting for wealth coming to the New World. You see a ship full of families coming to America, hoping to enjoy civil and religious liberty. Now, they were devoted Christians. Christ followers. And as such, they believed that God had established three institutions on earth. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, any pastor that's worth his salt would answer this question correctly. Say, Pastor, what are the three institutions that God established on planet earth? Well, he would say, well, God established the home, and God established the church, and God established civil government. And that is, in fact, correct. And if you went to that pastor and said, Pastor, we need some counsel on our home. We're having some marital problems. How should we raise the children? Well, the pastor would say, well, let's go to the Word of God. God established the home. God has something to say about it. We ought to heed what God has to say. Wouldn't you agree? In every church, they would give you a reason for the reason they do church the way that they do. Their constitution, their bylaws, their church structure. Because God established the church, therefore, It's reasonable to conclude you would go to the pages of Scripture for God's instruction or direction on how the church should function, rules of discipline, anything else that goes on inside the church. But then you ask the pastor, well, pastor, where do you go for instruction on civil government? For some reason, there's a disconnect. 
And apparently we're supposed to go to MSNBC or CNN or Fox News. Folks, that does not make any sense whatsoever. As a matter of fact, our Pilgrim and Puritan forefathers knew better, and that is why we are different. John Palfrey, author of the book, The History of New England, wrote that the Puritans and the Pilgrims searched the pages of Scripture for principles that could be incorporated, one, into their own church government as they were breaking free from the Church of England and establishing their own local congregational churches. They went to the pages of Scripture for government. They also, since they were establishing their own communities, went to the pages of Scripture for principles that they could incorporate into civil government. As a matter of fact, would it surprise you, ladies and gentlemen, to learn that pastors were once considered the political experts of their day? As a matter of fact, they would preach election sermons. They would preach to their people, like I'm doing today, before an election. And then when a new legislature was seated, just as this one in May 28, 1788, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, when John Hancock was their governor, before they began business, the pastor came in, told them what God's expectations were for them, as Romans Romans 13 says, ministers of God to thee for good, what God expected from them, and they, they were going to be held accountable for the jobs that they did. As a matter of fact, it was these election sermons that were taken and reproduced and spread throughout the colonies, and it was this freedom of the press that wound up serving as textbooks of politics for the 13 united colonies. These truths that we take for granted The fundamental truth that all men are created equal came from the pages of Scripture. By the way, let me stop and park here for just a moment. Man is sinful and wicked. Man has a way of messing any good thing up if you give us enough time and leave us to our own devices. Now, historically, you'll look back and you'll see that there was a religious difference between the northern states and the southern states. Let me explain why. The northern states were predominantly settled by the Puritans and the Pilgrims and the, uh, the Brethren of Philadelphia, and they did not believe uh, in a hierarchy of people. They believed that all men were created equal, and we'll get to that in a little while. That's why you have a need of a constitution. Therefore, slavery was never really much of an issue in the north because fundamentally they knew it was wrong. Why? Because the Bible says it's wrong. Book of Exodus, from the giving of the law, God himself says this, a man can enslave himself in debt. However, you cannot, Scripture says, steal another man. You cannot enslave another man. Otherwise, God said it's a capital crime. It's a capital offense. It's a death penalty. The southern states were predominantly settled by the Anglican Church, the Church of England. Now, in the Church of England, you had the aristocracy. You had, at the top, there was the king and the divine right of kings. Well, he was clearly a level above everybody else. His family of nobility would always be nobility, and they're always going to be better than you. Then you had the lords of the manor, and you had the aristocracy, the nobility. Then you had the commoners, and then you had the lower class. Just like in India today, there was a caste system that you could not break free of. It wasn't determined upon what you did in your life with your gifts and talents. It was what family you were born into. So the southern states were already incorporating that that idea of a class system. So it was very easy for them to take the next step and justify slavery. 
But let me say this. We were declared a nation on July the 4th, 1776. Immediately, several of those colonies, they were British colonies that became independent states. Several of those states immediately outlawed slavery. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for example, is one of them. And then, of course, over the course of the next 70 years, there was a battle. And if not for the Democrat Party, slavery would have ended right after 1800. Unfortunately, we had to fight a war eventually to rid ourselves. Is it a crime? Absolutely. It is a black mark upon America's history. But ladies and gentlemen, slavery began in the book of Genesis when Joseph was sold into slavery to the Midianite slave traders. It wasn't a creation of the United States of America. It was a world sin. And let me say this, it still is a world sin. You do a little bit of research and you'll find that there are more slaves in the world today than there ever was in the 17 or 1800s. Some 47 million slaves in the world today. Five of the most enslaved countries are in the central part of Africa, but nobody seems to care about that. Slavery still is predominant in communist countries and Muslim countries. Nobody seems to care about that. All they want to do is talk about our history 150 years ago. So yes, it is an embarrassment. It is a sin. Now you understand the mindset behind it, where it came from, why there was a conflict, how we eventually dealt with it, and thank God we did. And don't call us a systematically racist country. For the love of Pete, we elected a black president in 2008. That is not evidence that America is a systematically racist country. But the idea that all men were created equal didn't come from old England, as I just explained to you. It came from the pages of Scripture. The concept of natural law, pages of Scripture. The definition of the family, our laws of morality, ownership, and private property rights. Again, this is a biblical principle. In old England, it was the king's navy and the king's army and the king's dale and the king's forest, and you were the king's subject. The idea that each and every one of us have the ability to own our own homes and property is, in fact, a biblical principle, a right to a fair trial, no conviction without two or three witnesses, a punishment that fits the crime, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, the republican form of government, rule by law over tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, came from the pages of Scripture, and a defined or written rule of law, all of this came from God's instruction. So America was built on a biblical worldview. America was and has been exceptional. Why? Because we're Taller than the rest of the world? No, because we had a biblical foundation, which we largely adhered to throughout the early part of our country. Three things I want to point out as we go that we must remember that unfortunately at one time was common knowledge that we have now forgotten. Number one, the purpose of government is not to tyrannize. It's not to oppress. The purpose of civil government is for the good of the people. As a matter of fact, Romans tells us this, says that government was God's idea. Well, God, why did you establish civil government to begin with? He says here, to be a terror to evildoers and a protector of those that do good. So the purpose of civil government is supposed to punish evil and to protect those that are doing good. 
As a matter of fact, Genesis chapter 9, that's where it was first established, and that was the definition. You look in 1 Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, says uh, the purpose of civil government is to punish evil, do good, reward or protect the good, that we may live a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Uh, Peter's letter to the dispersed said this, the purpose of civil government is the punishment of evildoers and to praise and protect those that do well. You look at every passage in the Bible as far as God's intent, design, and purpose of civil government, and you'll come up to this summary. God's will for civil government is to punish evil, protect good, that we may live peaceably in all godliness. Government is not to tyrannize. Government is for the good of man. Now, let me stop again and ask you a quick question so these will sink home or, or you'll take these with you. Is family a good idea? Whose idea was the family? Does every family you know run in accordance to God's will? Boy, don't you wish they did. If families did, the world would look a whole lot different. But just because some families are disobedient doesn't mean that the family is a bad idea. Now, let me take it here. Whose idea was civil government? Is civil government a good idea? Does every civil government function in accordance with God's will? No. Don't you wish they did? Once again, the world would look a whole lot different if man was simply obedient and recognized that God is smarter than we are. Point number two, there is a standard of absolute truth. Man is subject to natural law. Mr. Jefferson said this, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for a people to dissolve the political bands that have joined them to another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitled them. Ladies and gentlemen, understand that the entire justification for the 13 colonies seceding from British tyranny was based upon this phrase, the laws of nature and nature's God. Wow, that's a pretty important phrase. We better understand what it means. Well, in their day, the mid-1700s, there was an English jurist named William Blackstone that wrote a four-volume set of commentaries on law called Blackstone's Commentaries on Law. This was the cornerstone of American political thought. By the way, as you'll see, Blackstone was a committed Christian. And Blackstone defined virtually every term that we see in the Declaration of Independence. It's not arbitrary poetic prose. They're defined legal terms, including this one. And natural law is this by definition. Man, considering he is a creation of God, must necessarily be subject to the laws of his creator, for he is entirely independent being. And consequently, as man depends absolutely upon his maker for everything, it is necessary that he should in all points conform to his maker's will. This will of his maker is called the law of nature. You want to see where they're specifically written down? The doctrines thus delivered we call the revealed or divine law. And they are to be found only in the holy scriptures. And no human laws should ever pass if they contradict God's law. So our founding fathers knew this. James Wilson made comment. One of our first Supreme Court justices said human law must rest its authority ultimately upon that authority of the law, which is divine. Alexander Hamilton quoted Blackstone directly, said no human laws are of any validity if contrary to this. I hope that you enjoyed today's edition of Exploring the Word. We look forward to being with you next time as we continue this message called The Biblical Principles of Civil Government. 
Until then, may God bless you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.